freaking auto! This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Ward, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. I'm going to uh, give you two players, Brock. I don't know if you read this from me last night or not, but I'll, I'm going to throw out two players. And I'm curious if people can figure out who these two players are. This was as of a couple of seasons ago, two seasons ago. Okay. Yep. So two years ago, one of these guys was a 30 year old middle infielder with an average yearly war of about 2.7. It's a mm-hmm. little tricky trying to figure mm-hmm. out these numbers. So you have to like, I had to like put a season together because of like 30 games one year. And 15. I'm sorry. Did, did you ask if I read your email? Yeah, I read your email. I know. I wasn't okay. sure if you knew. Okay. I read your email. I appreciate I that follow the you. details. You not so much. All right. I messed up the details. On you something. Brock not gave us so homework much. and but you gave it in, in, the instructions. in a very confusing manner. I don't so. know. Maura and Justin and I sure seem to be able to follow. Well, I'm along. glad you were able to follow your yep. own instructions. You, That's being That's definitely told, telling. Now I, I know what your home is like, what poor Heather deals I with on a daily basis. did notice you spelled my name wrong in that text. I, I saw know. that too. Just all. Sure, yeah. yeah. Just all. Just all. And yep. Jonathan mm-hmm. Santos. Discipline, yeah. Discipline in details, bro. I wrote about Jonathan Santos instead of Gregory. So maybe, maybe the glass houses and this and that. Yep. 30-year-old middle infielder. Average war per year of about 2.7, Okay. Wins above replacement, for those that don't know war, wins above replacement. The other, a 28-year-old middle infielder with a war of about 2.85 average per year. Yep. The 30-year-old with the slightly lower average is Marcus Simeon. Mm-hmm. The 28-year-old is Tim Anderson. Mm. I know that it's hard to forecast this game, and sometimes they get it right, like with these two guys, because one of them is going to make hundreds of millions of dollars. The other, Tim Anderson, who at that point looked younger and with a better average per season, Mm -hmm. you would say, wow, Anderson is going to go on to be a superstar. Tim Anderson right now is looking at one offer from the Marlins for $2 million for one year. Now, that doesn't mean the whole market is resetting itself and it not using it just to show you that, man, you got to really be careful when you throw around those big contracts because yep. you might get Marcus Semyon and you might get Tim Anderson. I mean, like there's a risk associated and there's more to it. Obviously, Semyon was ascending at that point, whereas, you know, there were a little few more questions about Anderson. Deal with not Oakland a, and play in Oakland. And yep. It's not a perfect issues. comp or mm-hmm. anything like it, but. One guy is, you know, a gazillionaire and the other is about to make a two million dollar contract for one year. So I don't know. I saw that news yesterday about Tim Anderson. I'm like, man, that one piece of evidence does not show you that the whole market is resetting. But it does kind of hint at it a little bit, especially when you see the hardball that the Cubs are playing with Bellinger. When you see Blake Snell out there waiting for a job, when you see the same with with uh, uh uh, Montgomery who had such a great postseason and Chapman, et cetera. You hear the rumblings out of Boston when you look at Minnesota, cutting payroll, Absolutely. Baltimore not adding payroll. I was just reading an article early this morning from The Athletic on Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and the misery of Pittsburgh fans and the Pirates' cheap organization. And, yeah, it is, it is not as if it's not the NFL where there's a $250 million salary cap and everybody's got to spend to a certain floor and everybody is rolling in money. I mean, baseball right now is in a complicated spot 
with a bunch of their TV deals? Is is uh, is there collusion amongst a bunch of these owners that they're not going to spend and they're going to want baseball I mean, to maybe. chip in and help possibly? Or do they just not have the money right now? And and as we mentioned at some point, I mean they've got they've got limits to what they can borrow as well so So how is baseball in a place to even be talking about expansion when you've got tampa and you've got oakland and you've got baltimore and you've got pittsburgh and you've got like how are you even in a place to talk about expansion? it seems like a very surprising time and again when you have a a commissioner doesn't particularly like the game of baseball then it's a little easier to do some of those things uh you mentioned the red sox morris sent this note over earlier right one of the big market teams Quote, the Red Sox have made it pretty clear they're not spending money this offseason. They've not come up with some of the creative ways that the Mariners did to fill out their roster. Star third baseman Rafael Devers now speaking out publicly. Here's what he said per ESPN. They need to make an adjustment to help us players be in a better position to win. Uh, everybody in this organization wants to win. We as players want to win. I think they need to make an adjustment to help us. I'm not saying the team is not okay right now, but they need to be conscious of what are the weaknesses and what we need. Everybody knows what we need. We know what we need, and they know what we need. It's just there's some things that I can't say out loud. But everybody that knows the organization and knows the game knows what we need. John Henry's not hurting for money. Uh, The Red Sox have banked more of it in the last 20 years than, than you could imagine. So is it just is the model just simply better? Is it like a lot of this college football that I'm around, Salk? And, and this goes back to the 2000s. And I remember talking to Pete Carroll about this. And you know what they loved at USC? They loved their crappy weight room. They loved being the best team in all of college football, but having to work out like Rocky mm-hmm. Balboa hitting beef in the freezer. They liked having you know just a lesser practice field, lesser facilities, lesser. It made them tougher. It made them have more want to. It made less divas. We didn't have the nicest stuff. We went in there and we worked and we competed. Is the model just simply better in Tampa Bay than it is other places? Is it you know is it better to have twenty year olds that are climbing and ascending? And if we have six years of their control, why in the world would we ever get in this game where we're just guaranteeing hundreds of millions of dollars and and empowering those players? Like is is the model like honestly? these owners are not hurting. They're smart businessmen. They're mm-hmm. billionaires. They've got plenty of money, but is it, are they kind of just saying without saying hey, it's better to just go young and hungry. I mean, they've been saying that in some ways for quite some time, right? Ever since the statistical revolution came to the game, there's certainly been a lot more of, Hey, there's no reason to spend money on X player when I could have the same player, roughly the same, you know, once you boil everything down to just numbers, right? Why would you pay eight million a year for something you could get for seven hundred thousand? That's right. Right. The problem is it's not entirely accurate. That 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 doesn't you know always take into account. Moneyball all- never won a World Series. Yeah, that's you true. You get a lot of wins. You can get you can certainly get a lot of wins. Tampa Bay has never won. Is Tampa Bay won a World Series? No. Tampa Bay's never won a World Series. Been to two. You can get a lot of wins, but you need a little bit of star power. You need a little difference maker. You need somebody or multiple people at that point to get you over the top. But honestly, as as we had this conversation, as I saw those comments from Mm -hmm. Devers yesterday, it just led me to believe these are a lot of smart people, and they don't want to say it, but they're kind of saying without saying it. So many of these organizations all around baseball, in every division in baseball, on both sides of both leagues, it's better to be younger and hungry and and poor than it is to pay all this money. And, And these veterans are sitting on the street and there's still a lot of them is now camp is camps have opened all all across the land. And there's still a lot of just productive, proven, valuable veteran players that right now are sitting at home. 
I think watching a lot of ownerships grow, you know, do exactly what you just said. What is this really worth? How many wins do we really get? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, you know, once again, to add and spin this back to the Mariners, all of that narrative when the season ends and, oh, you're doing it this way and you're doing it wrong and you're cheap and you won't spend and yada, 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 yada. Maybe the some of the best methodology. There is some element of that. Team. But then, Brock, you look at this team right now and say, and this is kind of where I start at 6 a.m., like you can go down that road, but you can also look at it and say, hold on a minute. You've got a superstar center fielder who's a favorite for AL MVP. You've got a rotation with five legit dudes that is probably the best in the league with a legitimate Cy Young candidate or two. You probably have as many Cy Young and MVP candidates as any team in the American League. Mm-hmm. You've got a, a fantastic second you know, second baseman, shortstop, center fielder, catcher, etc. You've got a legitimate hole, question mark at third base. You've got a legitimate question mark in left field. And you've got a legitimate question mark in right field. Three quarters of your projected outfield is a question mark. Mitch with his injury issues and Canzone with not a lot of experience. And Rayleigh, there's some things to be excited about and some things to be very concerned about. So, and then Ty France, who's coming off, you know, a year and a half where he did not play very well at all. Mm-hmm. Some of those issues can be fixed with money. Yep. Right? And, and... <laughs> well, that's... I'm throwing, you know, I'm going to throw Nike and what, and who are they partnering with? Justin Fable. What, what are they called? Nike yeah. partnering with what? Fanatics? The, the, the no, uni- fanatics. fanatics. Oh, Fanatics. Yeah. You, what you call them? Fable. Fable. <laughs> you know, yeah. Fable. Ace, Ace Hop and his Fables. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. I'm yes, throwing them in the mix, too, is going cheap. Because based on Cal Raleigh's sure pants like yesterday, yeah. those those see-through pants that he is now wearing, like, it's, is, is baseball just hurting for money that bad that even their partners at Nike are saying, yeah, here you go. We'll send you the cheapest product we could possibly send <laughs> they got you. Like, yeah, they got the Nike stuff. Instead of going straight to Nike, they got it from the uh, from the outlet store. They're like, man, yes. this, this right leg is longer than the left leg. Just yes. send it to the outlet store. Some yeah. poor chump will buy it cheap. Like, okay, sounds yep. good. All right, let's uh, come back here with everything you need to know. And then uh, I think you guys are going to like Brian Wu a lot at 730. Brock and I really enjoyed this interview. And uh, he was both sort of fun, but also serious in, in talking about his journey, which is a really interesting one. Stick around. You'll hear it coming up in 20 after everything you need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it was so cool seeing the whole team meeting yesterday, working out together for the first time as well. And then you start going through the list of guys, Brock. We did that little uh, who are you most excited to see yesterday. It's like, we have a lot of guys I'm kind of excited to see down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, it starts with the guy who makes it all go, and that's Julio Rodriguez. He is the the best player on this team, bar none. Dan Samborski, our guy from Fangraphs yesterday, saying, no, he's actually one of the best in the league. In a good season, I mean, you can expect him to be an MVP contender. Uh, there's just, there's not a lot of players that you would like better uh, when you talk rest of career if you had to draft everyone than Rodriguez. Uh, right now, I mean, Zips only has a single player in baseball with more future projected war remaining uh, than uh, Rodriguez, and that's uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, so even if he doesn't get like become like a seven or eight win player every year, uh, he's pretty damn good. And there's not there are very few players you would ever choose over him. He is pretty damn good, as he mm-hmm. said. And 
he knows it. And he also knows that last year was not his best. And if he had done a little bit more last year, what this team could have accomplished, he was talking about that yesterday. You heard about it. Like, I wasn't happy with it. You know, I feel like a lot of people can say, oh, like he was, like you said, like he was fourth in MVP. Like he, he did this, he did that. How can he not be happy? But like you said, too, I feel like there was a lot of moments that. I feel like I should have done better. Like I could have done better. And like I know my ability. I know what I want for myself. I love the attitude. Yeah, there were a lot of moments early in the year, especially in clutch moments, right? Those late inning moments, time mm-hmm. after time after time, a lot of struggle. You know what I'm most excited about finding? And this is what Shannon Dreyer was talking with us a little bit about yesterday. So just the overall vibe. I think you, you like to ask that question. What's the vibe? What's the vibe? And when I do think back to last year, I'll use a Colin Cowherd word again noise there was a lot of noise it was noisy julio had a lot of people in his ear everybody wanted a piece of julio in his sophomore year everybody thought they had the answers for him and it was noisy it was noisy to the point that even the marketing and and other folks were willing in the in the and the owner was willing to talk world series Mm -hmm. is the expectation just a lot of noise i don't think we're going to hear that i don't think we're going to feel it um the one word that i would challenge julio on is he said yeah you know we were we were still a young team not young anymore you may be young compared to the Astros in your own division, so I get where he's saying that, or the Rangers with a Simeon and a Seeger and, and some of the age in their rotation. I understand that, but overall in baseball, I don't think, kind of like the Seahawks, you know, you weren't young this last year. Mm-hmm. You just didn't develop quick enough. And uh, same thing I would say to, to the Mariners. I don't want to hear we are still a young team. Not eight years in with Jerry and Scott, not with their young core that is here and has, has played a bunch of baseball. Time to take that next step, but do it a little bit more quietly than you did a year ago. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, if Mike McDonald was the most important hire that the Seahawks had to make this offseason, the clear number two is Ryan Grubb, offensive coordinator. He joined Bump and Stacy yesterday for an extended sit-down and spoke about the transition he'll be making from college to the pros. There's you know less opportunity for you to just severely expose somebody defensively because there's so many good football players in the league. So I think you got to find other ways to expose the defense, you know, whether it's leverage or numbers or whatever it is. But I think the mismatch piece is far less likely in the NFL than it is college. It's one of my favorite questions. I love when I sit down with these coordinators, Salk, on a, on a Friday or in college football season. Okay, give me the matchup. And Andy Ludwig down there at Utah is probably the most transparent and clear. And he's like, oh, this strong safety can't play. And we're going to isolate him on it with our tight end into the boundary. And he'll just, you know, flat out give me different matchups that he will absolutely take apart. And Ryan Grubb could not be more correct. Mm. Half a dozen games last year, you play Tulsa, you play the bottom of the conference. Yeah, we're going to pick on this corner uh, because they, they don't have anybody else. We're going to pick on this nickel. We're going to pick on this safety. There is a huge matchup advantage with Roma Dunze on this guy. Those huge matchup advantages <laughs> don't really exist in the NFL. And you got to be a little more creative, play in and play out. I'll tell you out. what is going to be young, Brock. Maybe you don't want to say the Mariners roster is, but the Seahawks coaching staff sure sounds like it's going to be very inexperienced. Just reading a lot of the of the of the guys they're bringing in, and I don't know the names that well. Jeff Howard or Nick Perry or Mac Brown. No, not the old Texas coach. But as you, as you listen to those mm-hmm. names, you're like. One guy was a offensive a general assistant. One guy was an assistant wide receivers coach. They are taking a lot of guys who are, I would assume, very young and inexperienced and moving them up into new jobs. So we'll see how that goes once the season begins. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, it seems like the college football playoff Brock has finally found a way to spend some of that eight million or eight billion dollars they have coming in. Excuse me. Not so fast. They that unanimously approved their five plus seven format uh, mm-hmm. yesterday. So five automatic qualifying spots for the highest ranked conference champions, and then seven at large spots. Mm-hmm. Like it? I like twelve teams. I, I, I just hate the constant churn constant change right there's still a lot of college football fans all that think it's a bcs oh you know that bcs playoff they just had what what the, the computers you know the computer no no the, the committee has picked these four like the the general populace and, and i remember this from our marketing guy at espn that would come in i would always love this at our seminar and you know because we talk about it every day and we know it and we live it we just assume that the mass populace totally gets it and understands it too and college football just leaves a fan's head spinning mm. uh cal and sanford are in what conference Hulk? they're in the uh big 12. yeah they're in the acc yeah <laughs> along with smu yeah exactly. they're not in the sec and they're not in the uh big 10, <laughs> big 10 yeah. and they're certainly not in the pac 12. that much i know it's brock and salk the and Pac-1? that's everything you need to know pac 10 pac 12 the pack two pack eight the whatever who cares uh it's uh yeah it's so sad man it the is. whole thing is sad and of course so it's when a... you have no leadership and you have no central kind right. of office and you have no commissioner this is the kind of chaos that ensues. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's just, it's it, it's nonsensical. It makes, on, honest to God, Stanford and Cal are in the ACC next year with SMU. We tried to do this game, and I'm even in college football, Salk. On one of our drives this year, Benetti's like, hey, do you know the Conference USA teams? Do you know, <laughs> can you guess the Sunbelt team? Like, I used to know all of these things. Yeah. It, it used to be regional. It used to be geographic. It used to make some kind of sense. None of it makes much sense anymore. No, that's so. for sure. All right. Yep. Coming up, uh, we're going to speak to Brian Wu, Mariners pitcher, who uh, I think we both really enjoyed talking to. We uh, taped it earlier this morning just because of the way their schedule works and kind of where they're at uh, down there. And I'm sure that's something we'll be doing a lot next week when we spend the whole week at spring training. Uh, he is a guy who is a better major leaguer than he's been at any other, seriously, than any other yes. point in his college or pro career. That's amazing. Yeah, you want to talk about projecting, right? You, you, right? you open the show with that. Project a guy that has an eight ERA at Cal Poly. That's <laughs> a freshman. Eight being seven an absolute, five. Being an absolute stud his I know. rookie year. That just goes to show you that there is still something to scouting. It's not just what the computers spit out. Some of that scouting still plays. And Brian Wu will join us next to explain how it all works. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, Brock, uh, pleased to uh, go back down to Peoria just a couple days before we'll be down there uh, all next week. Can't wait for that. Generally the best week of the year. But Brian Wu already there, Mariners pitcher, and he's kind enough to take a few minutes with us right now. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Thanks for having me. I was thinking about where you were one year ago today. You had made all of, what, 16 minor league appearances. You'd never pitched higher than, what, high A ball, I believe? What is what has <laughs> yeah, the was... last 365 days been like for you? <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Um, looking back last year, um, you know, first camp, heading into it, kind of, didn't really know what to expect. Knew I wasn't, you know, going to make the team out of camp. So I really just had to come in and enjoy it and um, take it all in, meet everybody new. And then this year, obviously, coming in a whole different side of it, um, being part of the team and um, 
kind of uh, knowing everybody a little bit, but still trying to get to know all the new guys and um, any new staff or whatever it is. So, um, but yeah, we're having a good time so far. Biggest lesson learned in those 365 plus days was what? <laughs> um, baseball is incredibly hard, no matter what level you're playing it at. Um, it's a long season. Got to just find ways to enjoy it. Enjoy your teammates. Um, enjoy the people around you. Enjoy whatever it is, your off days. Um, you know, it's a grueling game. You got to find ways to just enjoy the whole process. I'm not sure I believe you. I'm looking at your numbers, and your your numbers are better at the pros and the majors than they are at virtually any other level of baseball you pitched at. Better than they were in college. Better than they were in single A. What do you mean this game is hard? It seemed like it was pretty easy for you. <laughs> um, as soon as I say it's not, then I'm going to be in a tough couple of ways, but... Can you explain how that happened, though? Seriously, I mean, I'm just again. I just spent some time looking at your numbers last night. For freshman year of college, an eight seven five ERA. Right, the next year was like six eleven. You missed some time in there. I know you had surgery, et cetera. How do you go from being a guy with an ERA over six in college to a guy who comes up and has a lot of success in Major League Baseball? Where was where where did that switch turn on? Um, honestly, I think. Um, after getting surgery after my junior year, so um, getting drafted and coming to Arizona, um, spending time in rehab, kind of just reworking um, my mind, my body, everything, working with the staff here, um, kind of just it gave me some time to get some, some new perspective on the game a little bit, on myself, um, work on things that maybe I hadn't been able to work on in the past and um, yeah, I think it just gave me a really good foundation um, heading into pro ball. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're always trying to learn, always trying to grow. But they had such a good staff here um, in Arizona getting through rehab and um, a lot of good guys to do it with. So try to just take as much of it as I could and, and build off of it best I could. Brian, if we were to have studied your Cal Poly tape, would we have seen, seen the same arm slot, seen the same delivery, <laughs> seen the same mechanics back in the day? Um, I think the mechanics maybe are a little similar. Um, you definitely, I mean, physically you always try to get a little bit stronger every year and, um, you know, understand your body a little bit better, but, but I think it's more of the mindset and kind of the, um, you know, competitive approach and, um, more to, more to the mental side than, than it is the physical side. Who did you work with, you know, in the Mariner staff to help you with that? Um, Adam Bernero and uh, Stephanie Hill are, are two of our main um, mental skills coaches, uh, performance coaches, I guess you could say. Um, and they were here a decent amount in the off season, um, during season. So was kind of just able to have, you know, endless amount of conversations with them on a number of different things, but um, kind of just. I don't know, breaking down different approaches and, um, you know, my process and how I look at the game and, um, you know, all types of different things. But it was kind of just good to have them here, bounce ideas off of them. And, and I still, you know, talk to them a lot today. So, um, yeah, they've been, they've been unbelievable. So if we don't rewind back all the way to February and we just rewind, let's say, to August and September, how did your body and your arm feel 
going through a journey you had never been through before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely hit a wall there uh, later in the season. I mean, yeah, it, it's a long year. It's my first, you know, full season um, as a professional. It's the most innings I've thrown. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a big learning curve was just kind of understanding how long the season is, um, what it takes to get through a whole season. And um, what really matters is, is being ready to go, you know, at the tail end of, of September and making a run into uh, into the playoffs. So, um, yeah, definitely learned a lot from it and um, was able to gain a, a lot of knowledge from experience and also just other guys and kind of how they do it and um you know over the years what's worked for them and you kind of just pick and choose and find little things and uh see what works for you so last year was you know learning on on all types of different ways well i would imagine we're talking to brian Wu, by the way we're here on cl sports on 710 i would imagine there's two guys right in your rotation with you who had just gone through the same thing right and logan and, and george what what have your conversations been like with them and how have they been helpful for you yeah, no, they've been amazing um, to have guys like that that have, you know, already have so much success, but also be so young. And, um, you know, they're not that far removed from kind of where you are or where I am now. Um, it helps a lot. And I think when you have guys that are older, um, you know, seasoned veterans, they might be a little bit more removed from just the experiences that you go through as a rookie or um you know, a younger guy on a team. Um, so it's really, really nice to have those guys here. And you kind of just have ongoing conversations about a number of different things, whether it's um, a mental approach to a game, um, pitches, grips, um, you know, routines throughout a year. It's a number of different things. But everybody on our staff is is so open and, you know, easy to get along with and, um yeah, that's. I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty thankful to have them. Who do you have the most uh, in, in common team. with of that group? <laughs> I don't. I mean, <laughs> we all we all have a number of different things. I mean, I I would say we're all honestly pretty different, but in a way, we get along. You know, we all get along really well. Um, but I mean, Bryce and I obviously have gone up through the system together. We got drafted together. Um, got to play a little bit together and then obviously debuting last year, pretty close to each other. Um, so having him, um, you know, kind of by my side to be able to do it with, and you're going through so many of the same experiences that it's, it's, it's a lot easier when you have someone else that's going through the same thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a ton of fun to, to be able to play alongside him. Is that why you guys have cheese nicknames for each other? Oh, God. What is the deal with it? I, I don't know the details. I've been told there's something, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know too many details about the cheese. What is the deal with the cheese? I think it, I mean, it got blown way out of, it's, <laughs> it's really, it started with just Louis, Louis being the oldest, the most service time, kind of the leader of our staff. We used to all just, just call him big cheese. And um, throughout a season, you know, you got a lot of time sitting on a bench watching games <laughs> And conversations just go every which way and started just assigning different names to everybody on yeah. the staff. So, so what cheese are yeah, you? Yeah, it definitely, yeah, it got, it got blown way out. It wasn't even like a... What cheese are you? <laughs> Whiz. Um, 
As of right now, I'm Parmesan cheese. Kind of sprinkle I'm it. Kind I'm looking of, for an upgrade. This yeah, you kind of sprinkle that on at the end. Is that right? Like it's sort of an after cheese that you put on top of the pasta. It's more. It's more like the size. So like the physical size. Oh, physical oh, size of the cheese. So it. Parmesan is, you know, it's pretty small. So it's pretty small. <laughs> oh, well. great. So I've got the least amount of service time, and there we go. Parmesan. Yeah, you know, you, you, you mentioned those other guys, and, and I'm just looking at them, and they are, and you guys are all so different in so many different ways. Bryce was on with us last week, Brian, and he told us when the season ended, he just took a couple weeks off, started to throw a football. He works with Tread. We know that George Kirby just talks to his nine-hole net and doesn't throw to anybody. We know that Logan's got his big old bag with all sorts of wackadoo stuff in it, and... Uh, well, let's see. Luis is down fishing. You know, that's how he builds his dexterity and his forearm strength is with great fishing. So what does Brian Wu what does Brian Wu do when this off season began? How much time did you take and, and where do you go to continue to grow and develop? Um this year this year was a little different than past off seasons. Um just because how long the season was and you know how much I threw. Um I took pretty much all of October off all baseball and like lifting and um, any physical activity. Um, try to just enjoy time with family, vacation a little bit. Um, and then beginning November, started throwing and lifting again. Um, but I mean, every off season looks a little bit different. I don't really have like a, a place right now that I'm consistently training at or um, whatever it is. They kind of, they do a good job of, giving us workouts and throwing programs and stuff through the Mariners. So I kind of just follow that. And then wherever I'm going uh, in the off season, then I kind of just take that with me. So um, I try to take a couple trips throughout the year and visit family and kind of do things I don't really get to do during the year. And then, um, yeah, but it's nothing, nothing too crazy. I'm definitely not fishing as much as Louie is. <laughs> Were you able to block out some of the trade talk and rumors and, you know, any of that type of stuff this off season? Yeah, I mean that stuff is you know it's so far out of your out of your control. Um, so I really try to try to stay off social media as much as I could this off season. You know, if it got if, if it did happen, then it is what it is, and if not, then then great. But um, yeah, I mean I have absolutely zero control over it. So try to just let it go and um, enjoy my off season. You know, dive into my work and. Um, whatever happens, happens, but definitely happy to be back. So let me get one question here about the upcoming season. And, and, you know, that is sort of, I think the biggest question folks would have for you, which is what's the plan for lefties this year moving forward. You came out so dominant last year, especially against right-handers. How do you bring the lefties up to the same spot? Um, I think it's just continuing to do, um, you know, what I did against righties, was really just not try to overcomplicate anything. I think um, after the first couple of weeks, started hearing you know like the the differences, and I think in my mind, I think I tried to do too much against lefties, and I kept my approach pretty simple against righties. So I think really trying to simplify my approach against both um, is going to give me you know the best chance of success. Obviously, we're working on things um, here and all off season on you know, off speeds and um, secondary pitches for strikes and, you know, all types of different things. But um, I think when it comes down to it, it's really just doing the small things and, and doing the simple things at a high level. Logan's got to be the blue cheese, right? Kind of moldy, little funky, different from all the other cheeses. <laughs> 
You can tell him I said that. That's fine. You can just tell him I said right, that. He's got to be the yeah, blue I'll, cheese. Yeah. Some him, real funky, like moldy smelling blue cheese. Brian, yeah, we really appreciate we'll it, man. It. This is great. Thank yeah, you so absolutely. much for spending the time with us. Continued good luck this year, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Now oh, there you go. There's uh, Brian Wu, Mariners uh, starter, and uh, what a journey it's been for him. Seriously, I mean, from where he was a year ago to now was pretty crazy. Legitimately, a year ago, he had not pitched above high A. Yes, <laughs> he came into camp last year. This time, he had never pitched above high A, and had never really had a great season, Mm-mm. but was projectable and has the funky arm slot and a good fastball that started to tick up. And then he dominated double A and bang, here you go. Now he comes into this season as the clear cut number five starter is not even a question mark about it. Yeah. Baseball is so quirky, man. It is so impossible to project. How many times last year did we say this? Like when's Emerson Hancock going to get his chance? Like right. He's doing the best of any of these guys in double A. You know, you're going to bring up Bryce Miller. Now you can bring up Wu now. Look at that. I mean, what, what, yeah, good. Yep, they they see it. They know it. They had to know how to project it. The Mariners, when it comes to their pitching arm and development, been one of their great strengths. They look at, and I think some of that is they look at process rather than just results. They look at the quality of pitch. Right. They look, yeah, yep. look at what they're doing, how they're throwing, where the, all the location, the spin rate, all those things, and it makes it a little easier for them to project it. That's why, that. what is it, their game score mm-hmm. is a whole lot more important for them than what the results necessarily show. All right, let's do some Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, Brock, let's talk meat eaters. Uh, Ray mentioned them yesterday. That's what he's looking for on the line. Give me some meat eaters who might be available around the middle of the first round of this draft. Yeah, the nice thing about this draft, Salk, maybe compared to last year and some of the others, this this is a draft of some really large humans. I mean, big, big men. And, uh, you know, I think when you listen to Ray, and he loves meat eaters because he thinks back to his senior bowl experience where – you got in a fight where he's just going to mix it up, man. So it's not only just being big and physical. It then is just being a little bit maybe even off in the head to just say, yeah, I want to destroy this guy. Uh, we know I put Troy Fautanu right near the top of the list, the Husky left tackle. Uh, Taliesi Fuanga, the tackle from Oregon State, 6'6", 335. Mm. Actually, a Tacoma kid. He has developed, and he doesn't just like to block you. He wants to humiliate you. And in Daniel Jeremiah's draft uh, in Mach 2.0, he actually had him at number 10. So he used his senior bowl week and did nothing but accelerate and climb. Uh, the big tackle out of Alabama, J.C. Latham, 6'6", 340. And you're like, golly, he actually looks like he's 6'8", 450. I mean, he just, he is a massive, massive road grader and mover. So there's a bunch of them on the O-line. Um, Tavondre Sweat, the big D tackle we talk a lot about. Jared Verse is probably the meat eater defensively, Salk. Oh, and really? he is Yeah, and he is all over the place. I see him near the top 10. Yeah. I see him in the 20s. He's a guy Why that doesn't have... So controversial? Because he doesn't have like these, you know, 35-inch arm length arms. He's not prototypical. He started his career at Albany University <laughs> because of some of those traits that just weren't off the charts. But just a, a relentlessness. Just that small school chip on That's the shoulder. Name. 
Jared Verse. What a great name. Every Just time I see that name TV. on the mock drafts, I'm like, I don't know if he can play, but I sure wouldn't mind having a Jared Verse playing There's edge a, for me. There is a bunch of dudes <laughs> that are going to be there at 16. A bunch of dudes. And we're only, I don't know, 64 days away as we build up to this sucker in late April. But this is... Uh, Maybe not a draft in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh round. I know, not maybe. Not a draft in the fifth or sixth or seventh. It's going to get anybody excited. And for John Clayton and his personnel department and scouting department, they love finding those diamonds in the rough. Not going to be many of them because most of them decide to go back to school for a fifth, sixth, seventh. Uh, even the kid, Cam McCormick, is going to play his ninth year of college football. That's ridiculous. Ninth year of college That's, football. I don't want to hear that. Ninth Question number two. Football. We're moving on. Question number two. Do you agree with Dave Wyman, who yesterday said he would want Jordan Brooks back, even if it meant you couldn't have Leonard Williams? And, as I said, he's starting to make plays. He had four and a half sacks this year. I think if you get him this year is going to be his his big year. And I think if you can get him into that kind of defense and running it, I think he's... I think he's really important. And if I had to pick between him and Leonard Williams, I'm afraid I'd take Brooks. Really? Yeah. I think I'm with Bob, who says, really? Yeah. Well, it just all depends on the market value. I think what Dave is calculating there is an old financial guy is the calculus of Jordan Brooks at this number right. versus Leonard Williams. And I was just looking at Yahoo Sports top free agents, and Leonard Williams is creeping up to number 12 on that list. So if you're paying in, and you have to pay Leonard Williams more than Dre, and he just says flat out, hey, the only way I'm coming back here to the Pacific Northwest I love to fish. I love a lot of it. I love the environment, but Pete's no longer here. Going to be a first-time head coach. I don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way I'm coming back is if I get paid more than Dre, then I'm with Dave Wyman. Then I think the calculus of a Jordan Brooks in his price point is priority. I, and, and I agree with Dave. And, and Dave's around that team a lot. Mm-hmm. He's on the plane with them. He's around meetings with them. He is all over it. And he knows that Jordan is chomping at the bit for more. More leadership more being the face of that defense with a Bobby that was in the forefront. He always, just because Bobby's a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. and everything else, had to kind of place, you know, uh, understand his role, know your role. I think he wants the, the health, role of man. being the guy. Got to be on the field. You do. You got to be on the field to be the and guy. And the fact that he came back, Salk, and played this year off an ACL in mm-hmm. eight or nine months and played at the level he played, pretty darn extraordinary. Year two removed from that ACL, you should get a bitter, bigger and better version of Jordan Brooks. I don't, I don't diminish or dismiss Dave at all, especially when it comes to the finances between those two. All right, question number three. A good interview yesterday uh, with Bump and Stacy on with Ryan Grubb, uh, which I recommend go to their podcast page and just listen to the whole thing. He did make some comparisons between the wide receiver group he had last year and what he would conceivably have this year. There's no question. When I was looking at you know who is here and, and the tools that are. Here at uh, Seattle, I thought that there was a lot of familiarity in what would be able to be applicable in the system. So, and I do, I think 11 here looks a little bit like 11 there. You know, those are good option route runners, guys that if you can get somebody flat-footed or a nickel or safety on those guys, they can highlight their skills. And then you got the big body decks and DK and Rome. And, um, but still, I think that's the thing that was amazing about Rome. And, I, and when I watched DK, I think the same thing is like, these guys are not just nine runners. These guys are crossing route, they're middle field open, they're sitting in zones, they're really versatile for big guys. And then you got the experienced route runner in the Z. Lockett can do all those things. I mean, you can move that guy about anywhere. 
You buying yeah. the comps? Uh, yeah, I think they're pretty good comps. Jalen and Jackson. Jackson has got more short area quickness, got more balance, got more strength than a Jalen McMillan. Um, so he's obviously a, a, a much better player. And Jalen's going to have to have a big, big combine, big combine, because he had a nagging knee injury this year that really limited him. Jalen Polk is not the route runner that Tyler Lockett is, not even close. But he is a little bit bigger and stronger. The real comparison is DK and Rome. Mm-hmm. How similar, how different. They're both big body guys. They both win one-on-one situations. I would contend that Rome's hands are much more natural than DK. DK has to fight those hands and and fights them quite a bit and has worked his tail off. Nobody. And and the first time, I promise you, the first time (laughs) that Ryan sees DK run full speed, he's going to say, I've never seen a human like this. I mean, his power, Pete would talk about that all the time, Salk, Mm -hmm. like just his power in a go route, his power in a slant, his power in a skinny post. There is no, maybe ever in the history of the league, and that's not hyperbole, because there's, you know, 6'3", 235, no body fat, running 4'3", running 22 miles an hour. He ran faster than any player in the league. And he did so at 6'3", almost 240 in pads. It's really hard to fathom. There's just not humans like that. But body control, hands, Roma Dunze, probably a step above DK, power and strength. <laughs> There's just, yeah, not many like number 14. All right, there you go. That's today's uh, Blue 88, and we are kind of mixing it up a little bit here today. A lot of football, a lot of baseball bouncing around. Uh, at 8.30, we've devised a little game that I struggled with the rules on last night, but I think I, I brought it back around by the end. So uh, we will do that for you guys at 8.30. It'll help you get to know some of the Mariners that you may not know as much about. Some good, some bad, some in between. That's about a half hour from now. Before we get there, though, uh, your guy, Daniel Jeremiah, who we're hoping is going to join us on Friday, mm-hmm. uh, he has his new mock draft out. Chad Reuter has his new mock draft out for nfl.com so one i think i like a lot better than the other let's discuss next on brock and sulk